Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. My guest this week is David Hertel. David and I met in 2013 when he was running for a by-election for the provincial riding of VO. He went on to win that campaign and get re-elected again during the 2014 general election in Quebec. During his time in government, he served as Minister for Sustainable Development, the Environment, and the Fight Against Climate Change, as well as Minister of Immigration, Diversity, and Inclusion. On this episode, we discuss his transition from politics to his private practice at Faskin Martineau, and we also discuss current issues regarding the environment, immigration, and the leadership races taking place this year for the Conservative Party of Canada and the Quebec Liberal Party. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for coming here. I appreciate it. My pleasure, George. I see you're still sporting the beard. You're still, I am. You're still doing that. I am still doing that. <laughs> Love the beard. Need the beard. You're looking good. I'm. I'm Thank glad you. that you were able to make it. And I appreciate it. I'm very happy to be here. Glad to see you again. We go back a while. Yep. Um, obviously, through your uh, your exploits in politics, we were talking just a little bit before we went on uh, went on air. Uh, the difference between you know the lifestyle and how things change sure. uh, dramatically from being an elected official and you were a minister, so you had a much much busier schedule than the average. Well, it's a crazy rhythm. Yeah. I mean, you know it. You, uh, MNAs, uh, ministers, you know, every day you're on, you're working, and you have a full schedule. Uh, you get up, uh, you know, I used to get up like at 4.30, 5 a.m., uh, depending either Montreal or in Quebec City or wherever else. And, you know, you check the media, you check the different sites, uh, the different papers, TV, radio, what's everybody saying. Uh, and the types of portfolios I had, I had environment, I had immigration. Yeah. So those were usually in the media quite regularly. Sure. So there's always something somewhere going on. And you had to prepare uh, for meetings, for files, and, and you had a full schedule. So you always had something. It's not like you had any downtime. So you, over five years, you, you developed that rhythm, mm -hmm. right? Where, you know, whatever, you're in St. Michel, uh, meeting with people in your writing, uh, as I was, uh, you were in Park X, uh, I, or in Quebec City, or Montreal, downtown, whatever. Or, you know, in the regions, you're touring the regions, going across Canada, even around the world. Yeah. And you always have one meeting after the other, or you're in the car and you're making phone calls, or you're reading something, or you're preparing for the next thing, or you have question period, or you're meeting media. So you're, you, you're always on uh, weekends, holidays, there's always something. And also, you're, there's, it's always you right? It's always you that's in front. Mm -hmm. It's always your name. It's yeah. always about you. And you got social media going on. You've got text messages. You got everything. So it's, it's, uh, you're basically always on fire. <laughs> it's all, there's always something going on. And when that stops, that stops really abruptly. Mm -hmm. It's like one day you're, you're the minister, the next day you're not. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. You're done. And, and the phone stops ringing and, and, you go back to this normal rhythm because that's what's abnormal. But when you're doing it for five years, continuously, it becomes your normalcy. It becomes normalcy. Yeah. Exactly. And, but it is totally abnormal, yeah. but it's like your car. It's like going 160 all the time. 
and all of a sudden you drop down to 50, yeah. you know, and, and fifth like turtle speed, you exactly. Like speed. what, what's going on. Yeah. And, and what you, where you go to the place I went to is what's wrong with me. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. A, am I doing something wrong? And it was got, the adjustment is really something because I'd have these days because, you know, I'm practicing law at Faskin now and teaching at Concordia and I'm doing some political analysis on, on TV and radio. And, you know, I have a pretty full day usually, but sometimes it you doesn't know, compare to what it was. Not at all. The yeah. rhythm. So I work hard yeah. and, and, but it's like, sometimes you'll have a little break or you'll have some downtime. And I remember at the beginning, like back in the fall of 2018, early 2019, I was like freaking out. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? What, what, why don't I have anything? Where are all my emails? <laughs> yeah. Where are all the emails? Don't I have something to do? <laughs> my phone's broken. Now it's coming <laughs> something, in. <laughs> something's wrong. You know, I had two phones before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I only have one. Yeah. And it's not like, and I haven't had a text message in like an hour. What's wrong? <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. It was just so, it, it's an adjustment psychologically, yeah. physically. I lost 45 pounds. Yeah. In well, the last well, it's year. a good thing. It's a, oh, it's a good thing. Yeah. But it just tells you physically, psychologically, spiritually. I mean, it, it's, it's a big change to go back yeah. to, normal life but it's also the toll that your body like you mentioned about the weight thing uh, you know you're in politics and you often forget about you know your, your health right totally. you're on the you're on the go so you're gonna grab just a snack or you know you're not focused on what am i eating am i exercising am i meditating or whatever people are into you know and you realize that in the end you're like dude i started politics and i was like i don't know whatever weight and uh, you're so right. 40 pounds, you, dude. It's, it's, 45. It's, yeah. It's, I lost 45 pounds. And it, but you re, I'd realized so right after, so I I had the fall. So I decided not to run again. Yeah. Right. So the election was in October. You, even after the election, you're still a minister till the transition. Until so, the new government takes over. So yeah. I was actually still minister until October 17th. And and so I transitioned into the new jobs. But I, I went to a, a doctor for just a medical checkup in early 2019. And I had to realize that I hadn't been in to see a doctor in over six years. Jesus. For anything. And it's, it was like, whoa. And, and so just a checkup. And it was like, it was kind of a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. Even in that rhythm in politics, you don't even think about what you're going to eat. Mm -hmm. Because it's, there's always something, yeah. you know, there's a breakfast meeting yeah. and the breakfast is provided. Even yeah. you're at a restaurant or you're at a hotel or you're, you know, even within government in Quebec City or at the writing office or whatever, somebody gets you the food yeah, or yeah. their food is provided. So you're not thinking. Mm -hmm. You have events, right? You have events mm -hmm. in the writing, you have events, yeah. you know, corporate events, chambre de commerce events. You're going to find conferences. To, yeah. So you're always eating. There's always something. There's a lot of alcohol too. Yeah. And so to be polite, you're taking a drink or two, but you're realizing that you're basically taking a drink or two almost every night at these events. <laughs> exactly. No, but you're not getting drunk. You're no. not doing, doing anything no, no, wrong. Slowly, slowly, it accumulates. It does. Yeah. And, and you realize, and you're not exercising. Yeah. You know, you're being driven everywhere. You don't really walk. You're, you're, there's not real a lot of time. I, I used to try to go box in St. Michel maybe once or twice a week. But and that helps, but that wasn't enough, right? Yeah. There was a lifestyle also yeah. to go with it. So, uh, it, 2019 was a big wake up call to to really get healthy, mm -hmm. not only in the lifestyle, but the way I ate and and just be careful. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, let's go back in the beginning because you didn't just happen to fall from the sky in 2013 when <laughs> you picked up that nomination in uh, in in the VO writing, which essentially is Saint Michel. Uh, Saint Michel. Uh, you were involved politically before. Yeah, uh, I started off actually when I was uh, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I, I started off. Uh, I used to go to uh, Brebeuf, and I, I remember um, there was at the time. So it was the late 80s. And it gives you an idea how old I am. I'm already an old fogey. But anyways, uh, so I, late 80s, I'm at Brebeuf. And the PQ had like a political committee there. And they would bring uh, personalities, you know, like Jacques Parizeau yeah. and, you know, stars of that time in, in the party. And I realized there was no liberals. Yeah. There was no liberal committee or anything. So I just one night picked up the phone and cold called the liberal party. Uh, headquarters and and said you know explain them you know I'm a, I'm a student Brebeuf and you know and there's no liberal presence uh, you know it was at the time it was the Barassa government mm -hmm. and I said you know but the PQ is very active so you know are you guys doing anything can I help can I do something so the very next night I had a meeting at at the offices back then they were on the Gaspe mm -hmm. near Laurier. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went there and and got involved in the Commission Jeunesse, mm -hmm. the, the youth wing, uh, the party. And I got really involved. I uh, became uh, the uh, uh, youth rep for the West Island. I really got involved at the time. I lived in uh, Town Mount Royal. So I got involved in the writing association with John Chacha, mm -hmm. who was a minister, a great M&A mm -hmm. uh, for decades in, in, in Mount Royal and a great minister. Uh, in the Barassa government. So great guy too. Fascinating guy. And uh, just got involved and and did a lot of work uh, up until 1990. And then 1990, uh, something happened that really, for me politically, really affected me was the, the failure of the Meech Lake Accord. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember I was following that, you know, like crazy. And uh, I kind of went through a phase where I, I just didn't know if, if federalism was, was working. Yeah. And you weren't the only one, eh, for the No, time. no. I mean, the whole, people. the whole conservative party back then lost its momentum. Completely. With, um, Le Beau Risque and everything and, and Brian Mulroney and, mm -hmm. and all those negotiations, you know, with Robert Barassa and, and Brian Mulroney and everybody and, and Lucien Bouchard, who well, was the minister. Well, that's the thing. You have such a big figure splitting from the party oh, and huge. creating the Bloc Québécois and creating huge. this other wave. With Jean Lapierre, yeah. remember? Oh, yeah, he, from he, the liberals. From it the was just, liberals. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And and then you had Belanger Campo. Anyways, I don't want to quote through uh, all all the history, but so, so for me, put, yeah. So that puts you into all this questioning, and and ultimately, I I I stopped, you know, becoming a, a, a liberal, and and I ultimately became a sovereignist. And in 1995, I voted yes. Wow. Yeah, I did. And uh, I remember how close it was, like 50,000 oh, yeah. votes. Yeah. It was it was crazy, and and. And then uh, I was uh, I was working in, in I had several jobs and ultimately from one job to another I got to uh, 2001 I actually worked for Bernard Laundry mm -hmm. I was uh, a staffer uh, a political advisor when he became premier mm -hmm. in 2001 so I worked for almost a year uh, in his office when he was premier for the first year. 
And uh, that lasted basically a year, went back to the private sector. I was 28, 29 back then. And uh, then I stopped all political involvement, nothing. Right. And for years, I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't do anything in active politics. I actually lived in the U.S. for a few years, worked and lived in the U.S. And came back in 09 and uh, worked at Just for Laughs, then uh, Evenco. Then I became CEO of Montreal's Olympic Park, where the stadium is and mm-hmm. everything. And 2013. Uh, Charte des Valeurs yeah, yeah, of yeah, the PQ. Yeah. And that was really, for me, that was something that was, I found completely, uh, you know, disconcerting and, and for me just wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was seeing what it was doing to uh, our community, just, not just in Montreal, but, you know, all around Montreal and in Quebec. I mean, the debate and the, what it, it was leading to and the type of nationalism it was opening the door to, yeah. for me, it was just wrong. Yeah. And, um, and in 2013, at the time, there was, a, Philip Couillard had became leader of the Liberals and Pauline Marois was premier. And she was talking a lot about uh, calling elections, you know, she was leading a minority government. So in the fall of 2013, there was a lot of buzz that there might be a general election, but there were already two writings where there would have to be uh, by-elections. Mm-hmm. There was Outremont and Villa. Yeah. And Philip Couillard didn't have a seat. And so well, he... Yeah, because he took over Outremont when he won the leadership. No, right? after. No, actually after. He won the leadership in the spring. Of 2013. Yeah, and then he ran in Outremont. Raymond Bachand left yeah. that void there. Yeah. And at the same time, Raymond Bachand had left, Emmanuel Dubourg. Ah, yeah, he jumped federally. In Vio. Yeah. And he jumped federally to uh, Bourassa, which is Montréal now. Yeah, yeah. And because Denis Coderre had left his federal yeah, seat to, to, to go mayor to become Montreal. mayor of Montreal. Yeah. So it was like this chain reaction, right? Yeah. And so VIA was available and I had done a lot of work in the East End with the Olympic Park and I'd gotten some notoriety about, you know, relaunching the park and, you know, making it more accessible to people and having more events. And that was working. And uh, I was actually approached back then by both the PQ and the Liberals mm-hmm. to run. Wow. And uh, I immediately didn't follow up with the PQ, but Philip Couillard, called me up and his team called me up in 2013 uh, in the fall to uh, to discuss me running in VIA. And uh, at the time, the liberals were in the opposition and, and were actually behind in the polls. I mean, it wasn't like uh, obvious that the liberals. Were I remember gonna, even when the campaign, even when the campaign started, we weren't uh, we in, weren't doing so well in March of 2014. Correct. You're right. And it wasn't, uh, we it were was, like five, 10 points behind yeah. in certain polls. And honestly, it's thanks to uh, uh, Mr. Pelado's uh, the fist, yeah, yeah, the fist in the air that kind of turned things around. It, it really like because they were galvanized. Being, they were being very careful about bringing the topic of sovereignty yeah. into the elections. Right, there the, was the whole issue of the Charter of Values that yeah. became the central uh, campaigning mm-hmm. uh, theme. Mm-hmm. So people were taking their positions, obviously. But when that whole separatist thing exploded, people were like you know, we're not there yet. And well, the, the liberals were very good and Philip Cuillard was very good in at bringing it and out, bringing yeah. it out and saying, okay, when's the referendum? Yeah. 
So are you going to take us through this again, yeah, yeah. a third time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's your schedule and what are you going to do? It was a turning point. It really was. It really was. No, absolutely. Because after that, uh, the momentum started to shift. Yeah. And and you also saw with the charter and I saw it and you saw it too oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. we we worked together uh, on that campaign, I remember. And But it's also the, 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 the electorate that we had. That's it. it. We were like not, you know, forget about what was happening uh, at a national level, you know, this whole question of the, the charter of values. We were actually living it. We were living you know, the communities in the Park communities. X, Villeray, Saint Michel, oh, Saint Michel. But yeah. I would go to mosques, and yeah. and even the turnout. You know, the election was on April seventh, mm-hmm. twenty fourteen. The turnouts, even though you would say these were traditional liberal writings, you know, Saint Michel, for yeah, example, for sure. and the the turnouts were huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you had communities. Like, you know, the community from the Maghreb, for example, yeah. the Communauté Maghrebin. So Moroccan, Tunisian, yeah, North, Algerian, African, North yeah. African communities, which are very strong in Saint-Michel and uh, the surrounding writings. You know, uh, in previous elections, there may be 10, 15, 20 percent of those communities actually come out and vote. Yeah. This time around, it was record 60, numbers. 70 percent. It was record numbers. Huge numbers. Yeah. And all, you know. All other communities. I even had, you know, Villeray, you know, which is Villeray itself is more PQ mm-hmm. at the time was more PQ. Now it's Quebec Solidaire yeah. mainly, but it was more PQist. I had PQist coming up to me in the, and say, well, for this election, because yeah. I disagree with the Charles de Valeur, I'm going to vote liberal. Yeah. Because we were perceived as the only option to stop it. Yeah. You know, and it was important to unite the vote to make sure one party was being able to, to block it. That was our election with the highest uh, majority that we oh. got. It was, and we all, we also knew that the, like from that night, when we were looking at the results, we also knew that those numbers were never going to repeat themselves for again. Sure. It was, you know, and for a writing like ours and probably like yours as well, but I think, you know, Le Rie d'Orient, which is Parc X Villery is a lot more uh, multi-ethnic mm-hmm. It was as if all stars were aligned. It were. It's it was true. Sovereignty issue, uh, charter of values, yeah. and it was. It was a, a perfect storm. It, oh, it was a gift yeah. from the sky. And I was like, I won. I won with. I. I remember, and the you know, Vo, you know, had always been uh, a liberal writing, and it was strong majorities. Yeah. But I'd won my by election with uh, 60 percent of the vote. Those but very low, low turnout. turnout. Yeah, yeah. And this time you had very high turnout and 62% of the vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, in 2018, my friend Franz Benjamin uh, won VO with 46% of yeah. the vote. And there's yeah. other reasons for that, but it just gives you, you know, and Emmanuel Dubois had won with under 50% of the vote. Mm-hmm. So it really was uh, that a perfect alignment, as you say. Yeah. And it was a great campaign because I was asked to, to talk, you know, at mosques and, and at community groups outside VO. I yeah. mean, I, it was like there were debates and, you know, I would do debates about Montreal with Denis Coderre and Amir Kadir and Jean-François Lisée. And that was the topic. And, and, uh, you know, it was a great campaign and we, we won what 70 seats out of 125. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get any heat from, from going, I didn't know that you were part of the liberal. Uh, it's the first time I heard, uh, I'm hearing it today. I, I knew that you were an advisor to, uh, to Bernard Lange. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, was there any heat? Because I thought you went from the PQ to the liberals. No, I went to the liberals, yeah. to the PQ, back to the liberals. Any heat came up from that? I mean, uh, did you? Uh... 
I, you mean when I came back? Because there's there's no way you can really cover anything, right? In politics, all these things oh, are going to come out. Of no course, and, uh, no, but I I never tried to cover yeah. them. And and the 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 thing is is that for sure when when I came back to the Liberal Party, there were some hardcore liberals that gave me a hard time. Yeah, I I remember a few very tense meetings. <laughs> Uh, where I was put through the ringer by some senior officials mm. from the party uh, about, you know, am I really uh, a federalist and am I really a liberal? And and at just at the same time also, which was funny, is that a lot of pickists when when I announced my candidacy for the liberals came out publicly. And, you know, I remember Carole Poirier, who's an M&A in Hochelaga Maisonneuve. Uh, I met her in a restaurant. And uh, she just didn't say hi to me at all, and just wow. and just yelled at me that I was a traitor. Come on, a traitor! <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa, okay." Uh, but you know, it's uh, crazy how personal these things can get. Eh? Very personal, very very personal, and and it's uh, it, it gets very emotional very quickly, and um it 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 sort of gets to a point where you know it's it's way too exaggerated and and you have to bring it down a notch and you but, see i i realized that when when you know the political thing was finished and you realize that for all these because i was there for almost 12 years uh you realize that you've been living in a bubble totally because everything you think everything revolves around what's happening in quebec You're politics so right <laughs> And, you know, but, you know, I remember having discussions with my wife yeah. and other friends and they're like, dude, who cares? I'm like, what do you mean? Who cares? Don't you see? And I just realized, you know, at the end of 2018, when we came on, let's say, you know, the first couple of months, you're still kind of in that phase. So early 2019, mm -hmm. I realized, God, nobody gives shit. It's nobody cares. You're, you're it's so such right. a bubble. Like really nobody is. cares. It, it was so funny because I would... You know, when you're, you're, especially when you're in power, right? When you're everything, everything, a minister, the, obviously what the premier says, how commentators react, when they talk about you, when you have a policy, a major announcement, and you're, you're getting ready and you're, you're so involved. It's all your being, mm -hmm. your, your personal, it's personal, it's business. There's no, there's no personal in business. Mm -hmm. It's all you. Yeah. And you're always putting everything on the table, all of you and your staff is super intense. You know, yeah. guys, yeah. you know, guys like you, you're, you're full on as well. You're fully engaged, yeah. full throttle and everybody's at that same level. Right. But what I realized after I left politics is, oh my God, people barely hear a 10th or one, one hundredth of what every, of what we do and yeah. what we say. Yeah. And, and they're not necessarily, and not because they don't want to, it's because they have a life. I mean, yeah, we, you know, they have lives, they have children, <laughs> they have, yeah. they have a job. They, yeah. they're not, they're not a hundred percent always listening yeah. to TV or radio and following question period. And, you know, all the, 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 the ins and outs of, of politics and the behind the scenes and the commentary. And we used to freak out at whoever would say something negative about us and, and, when you go back into uh, from politics and you go back into regular life, you realize, oh my god, almost nobody noticed. Yeah. yeah, it's like, and for you, when you were, when I was in, it was like the end of the world. 
you know it's fascinating but that, it, that, but in retro, but in retrospect when you when you realize that mm -hmm. that nobody really cares mm -hmm. the, did you put in question like everything that you had done like since 2013 in terms of not not necessarily their importance because of course they were important things but that all that effort that you gave the sacrifice that you've mm -hmm. made you you know personally mm -hmm. family wise mm -hmm. you know whatever and then you come out at the end and you're like what what is this for you know what i mean well i i get the question i i i would put it maybe a different way what what i realized one of the things I'm real, I'm realizing, I should say, yeah. because I'm not done, you know, analyzing and 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 learning from yeah. those years, yeah. you know, yeah. and and we we talked about this earlier, you know, it's barely been over a year, and and it takes more time than that to to fully assess, yeah. and take account of of what we went through yeah. in politics, and to come back from it. And 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 get back to a normal life and analyze with you know rationality what you did and how, what you did well or not so well and what lessons to take from it. But I would say that the all that effort, uh, I think it's more about how we communicate to the people. I don't I don't I don't think the political class and and it's not just the liberals it's it's the entire political system and the yeah. political class is not is is disconnected in a lot of ways with people and and that's a big problem but it's and it's not just in quebec but it's funny that you mentioned because i think there's a disconnect in both ways sure the politicians towards the people but also the people towards the sure. to, to the political class sure absolutely yeah. Yeah. i but i i think we're we're still there's a lot of assumptions being made and we're still uh, we're not doing a, a good enough job to explain how complex and and not easy these questions are that yeah. we grapple with. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, just imagine just running a family. We're seeing the royal family these days going through some stuff and that's the royals, but all our families. It's not easy. It's not. It's never easy. No, no. Yeah, having a family and being part of a family is tough. Of course. And especially and if you're away for that long during. Exactly. So imagine yeah. 8.5 million people. Yeah. It's businesses, it's families, it's services, it's, it's community groups, it's origins, it's religion. There's immigration. I mean, all the issues, health, education, it's, it's huge. And managing these things are tough and they're complex and we're human beings. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, I think the political system, both the, the political side of it and the administration, public administration has to evolve and adapt to these new, a lot of these new realities we have, we're changing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we have to be able to communicate better and explain better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the the disconnect. So what it's not as discouraging. Sometimes there are things, you know, we would work so hard on for years, literally. And you announce it and barely anyone notices. <laughs> and you're like, wow. But what I realized today is something we did, you know, yeah. uh, two, three years ago is impacting positively the lives of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a trade-off. Yeah. Maybe at the time, not a lot of people noticed and did got a, get a lot of play me, uh, in the media and we didn't get a lot of credit for it. 
But today, tomorrow, several years from now, you're seeing positive yeah. consequences of, of your work. And that that's the payoff. Because, you know, I don't know if it's society or if it's the political class itself that puts the elected officials like on this pedestal, mm -hmm. right? And you have to deliver because right. it's you, you're there, you know? Personally. I mean? Yeah. So how do you, how do you change that? How do you, how do you, like you were saying, you know, there has to be a better way to communicate to people about the reality of what you do and what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And I understand there's a disconnect. How do you bridge that? Well, I think you're right. We've, we've created this aura around politicians and there's a mythology around, you know, being, you know, in politics. Yeah. And I think the media also, and we, we play that game uh, in politics where, you know, we love to, to bring up someone and then tear that person down and bring that person back up and tear, tear that person down again. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I went through that, mm -hmm. you know, when I came into the politics, it was like, I was riding really a great wave and I had great press. And then I became environment minister and the first year was rough. Yeah. It was rough. And, and I had a hard time that first 12 months and then I got through it, survived it. And then, you know, finished on a high note environment, then moved to immigration, which was, you it's know, a whole was, other headache. Yeah. It was, it was in a bad place when I took it over in October, 2017. But when you look at the polling, when you look at the party, when we finished a year later, we were strong on immigration. And, and so you go through these cycles and I think we have to do a better job about showing our humanity and, and accepting that sometimes, you know, just saying, yeah, I dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we're so, we're so in a mode where we will not concede that we made a mistake mm -hmm. because of fear of, you know, being attacked in the media, being attacked by opposition, being attacked, you know, by, by stakeholders or whatever, uh, fear of losing the election or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, but there's so many examples where, and again, I don't want to pick anybody specific, but, and regardless of the party, if someone, you know, after a bad call had just admitted, you know, this was a mistake. The impact would have been less than what actually went through, you yeah. know, and sticking with that bad decision or that bad call. But the media definitely doesn't help. I find, you know, and it's 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 weird to say that because you contribute now <laughs> to yeah. the media. Yeah, but it seems as though the media very rarely looks at the positive and just focuses on the negative. So regardless of what you have to say. Uh, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I understand, you know, that point of view and, but I, I kind of, and again, you're right. I, I am a, a contributor now to several media. I do some political analysis and CBC, CTV, CJD, and, and I love it. And the idea is that they have guys like me on to, you know, explain. Mm -hmm. how politics works yeah. and give uh, something more than just, you know, the, what the media sees. And we try to give some analysis and, and help people understand why or how these decisions are made. And uh, I think that's important. And, but I, I think it's an easy reflex to just blame the media. I think, you know, if the media provides this, 
That's because people love it mm-hmm. and, and they, they want more of that. And that's what sells and that's what gets eyeballs or ears or, you know, people to, to watch. But at the same time, I think people are more discerning than that. Look, you're, you're, you're doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. People that, you know, that watch you, you know, they, that means they want something else. And people now have that independence. They yeah. can have a lot of different sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll watch one thing, you know, they'll, they may watch something on TV, then they'll hear some radio and they'll check a podcast or they'll check some websites and they'll make, you know, they'll, they'll make their, opinion. they know what I think is that we, in politics, we sort of take the public for granted mm-hmm. and, and sort of assume they will react in some way. And sometimes we're very surprised and we actually, you know, you realize that people, first of all, they don't hear everything we say and they don't, they don't follow everything that's being said. And a lot of people, you know, can, can make the difference and they think about it and they're thoughtful and, and they take all the information and they make their own, their own judgment. And I think we have to trust that, but we have to make sure we, we inform them, we give them that information Mm -hmm. and not take anything for granted. Because I was having this conversation with one of Justin Trudeau's staffers back in the day, where you know that that, that whole issue with uh, with uh, Raybould happened, right. and uh, you know with uh, SNC Lavalin, mm-hmm. and I personally think it was a complete communications mess. Yeah, and one of his um, staffers was telling me, "Listen, it was a big mess. We should have handled it better, but we were up against the wall. If we would have come out and let everything happen as..." you know, as it should have happened perhaps, or the way that Minister Raybould wanted it to happen and risk losing the SNC headquarters, we would have been blamed for putting 4,000 mm-hmm. jobs on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took the option of trying to do something about it to save those 4,000 jobs and they criticized us for mm-hmm. interfering. So mm-hmm. it, it was one of those things where we knew that regardless of the position that we would adopt, we would have been trashed either by the opposition yeah. or by the news or by media in general. So you're stuck. So, and if you do, then if exactly. you don't. Yeah, I, I get that. And I remember I was doing some commentary during the whole SNC yeah. Lavaline thing. And, and I, was, I was saying, you know, that it was poorly handled. But again, you have that example, George, of exactly what I was trying to say earlier, is that the, the, it's like the reaction to the event was worse than the actual event. <laughs> exactly. You know, it wasn't, remember at the end of the SNC Lavaline affair, we were no longer talking about SNC. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, I remember that. The last few weeks of it, this whole scandal. It was a soap opera. What's it, happening with the minister? It was, and it was the, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Trudeau's leadership capacities and cover-up or not and yeah. Jerry Butts. And we were not even talking about the company mm-hmm. and or what it had done or not done because at the time it was still alleged. Uh, and And so it was more the reaction and the perception of a cover-up or maybe some, you know, some few things, you know, with uh, Wernick, the, the, the clerk of the Privy Council and all yeah. these different things and the testimonies. And, and that was the, the story. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get, uh, you know, what that staffer told you. And, you know, if you had been a staffer or I'd been a minister, that's how I would have probably, you know, explained it. But that, I think, illustrates what we need to do better in the political class yeah. is that understand that we have to, okay, put the cards on the table and ha- be much more transparent. 
with these types of situations yeah. much I, earlier. I think the fear of criticism kind of blocks you from actually even thinking. I agree. Something like and that. But there you go. The minute you're doing something out of fear, which is one of the top fuels in politics, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fear. Yeah. Well, you know this. We know this. We knew it before going into politics and we know it out of politics. Doing anything based on fear is a mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. fear is not a good motivator. And, and I think that's the problem. We have to get to this different type of place where we're, we're in politics. We're always doing something based on a risk assessment and a risk of losing. And, uh, you know what I, I, I think, it, it, and it's hard to do. And I, look, I'm not saying I, I always did that when I was in politics, mm-hmm. I, I'm pleading guilty already. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say I was better than everybody else, but I think we need, if, if the question is how does politics connect better with people? I think the a first step is stopping this ultimate reflex of always doing something based on fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the, the, the cabinet that you held as a minister, mm. because more and more today, there's uh, there's issues that are happening, and obviously you've you, you've experienced uh, something related to these uh, to these files. You were a minister of environment, then you became mm. minister of immigration, and in the last couple of years, or maybe even months. Uh, especially with a new government now in place, there's all these things happening sure. and it's constantly in the news. Right? Yeah. We're always talking about environment. We're always talking about immigration. I just want to know a little bit about, you know, take, take a little bit f- from you as, you know, someone that had to deal with these, uh, with these files. Um, you know, you know, we're, we're living in amazing times where you have a 14 year old teenager kind of leading this global right. movement is there theatrics behind it? Is there not whatever people can judge on, on their own, but the fact that you have youngsters kind of mobilizing mm-hmm. for this cause, I mean, it does carry a certain weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have personal problem between, you know, calling yourself an environmentalist mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, being an, an alarmist, you know right. what I mean? Which we're seeing more and more. And I, and it, I don't know if you agree with me, but, I'm afraid that the debate is going there, right? We, we, there's like this alarm that is sounding now and everyone is just confused on what is really happening. Mm. I, I agree with that. Uh, there is an emergency. You know, if, if you're living in Australia right now. For sure, you're seeing yeah, it you're, yeah. you're seeing, We're all seeing it firsthand. There, there is a change. There's something going on and it's been going on for years. I'm good, thanks. Um, but at the same time, um, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of different issues there. And yes, I was, you know, uh, environment and climate change minister for three and a half years in the government. And I went in Paris and I was there for the Accords. And after that, I went to Marrakesh and, you know, traveled the world and was there when the Trudeau government set up the carbon tax. I set up the cap and trade system with uh, California and then Ontario and, you know, the green fund and all the ups and downs with that and the investments in, in green technology, but the, the, and trying to reduce emissions in, in all sorts of ways. Here's the thing. There was half a million people that marched in Montreal and Greta Thornburg was there and it was a great event. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt for a second that every single person that was there believed in, you know, 
there needed change and there was an emergency. But at the same time, in the last federal election, 51% of Quebecers and 67% of Canadians voted for parties that were for Trans Mountain. Yeah. Stephen Gilbo, who was on my back regularly when he was uh, executive director of Equitat and when I was minister. Who, by the way, and is one of the more recognized environmentalists. Absolutely. In Canada. He's yeah. a superstar. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's Quebec's equivalent of David Suzuki yeah. in yeah. Canada, yeah. you know, in English Canada. And so he was totally against Energy East. And I, he was on my back for me even suggesting we just study the project. Mm -hmm. Not approve it, just study it. And he now is a minister in a government that's going to do Transmount. Even though he says he's against it, he's a minister. So yeah. there's going to have to be cabinet solidarity. And, and this, this government has said it's going to go ahead with, with Transmount. So the idea is that you have to realize that it's change is not easy. You know, we have an economy and a way of life that is based on hydrocarbons and has been based on hydrocarbons for over a century now. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, even, you know, in the studio, my, my glasses are clothes. I mean, it, there's plastics everywhere. Yeah. And you can't transition that f from one day to the next. It takes time. Some will say that it's not fast enough and that's their right and their right to, to push and to say we should go faster and that's fine. And the science confirms that we have to go faster if we don't want to lose you know, the type of life we have and the type of environment we have right now. But I remember what Barack Obama said when he came to Montreal a few, a uh, few months ago, he was, a, he was, he came and gave a speech at Bell Center and I was there and he was asked almost exactly the same question that you, you asked me. And, and the moderator talked about the 500,000 people who marched with Greta and Barack Obama, you know, stunned me because he's considered one of the most environmental presidents the U.S. has ever had. Yeah. He signed the Paris Accords that Donald Trump is trying to get out and yeah. get the U.S. out of. He's, you know, he's, he's been, you know, recognized as a very environmental, pro-environment president and very respected on, the, on those issues. And what he said after he said, yeah, I respect what she's saying, but at the same time, I can't tell a guy whose family depends on his job in the oil industry and yeah. say tomorrow you won't have a job anymore. Yeah. You're closing shop. Yeah. That's it. You can't support your family anymore. And then he gave the example of India. He said, I couldn't tell the prime minister of India who right now has a, you know, a class, you know, the lower classes. I mean, in India, poverty is like hundreds of millions of people. Yeah. It's not a small segment of the Canadian population. Yeah. Poverty anywhere is bad, but I mean, when when you're trying to pull your country out of poverty, like India, that has a billion people, <laughs> and a majority of them are under what we would consider the poverty line, mm -hmm. and you say, okay, I'm going to give them electricity to help them to build industry, to build an economy, and you have a superpower or rich countries like Canada saying, oh, well, you know what, you 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 have it has to be only solar and it has to be only wind. Yeah. You can't lose, you can't use oil and you can't use gas. You can't, Barack Obama said, you know, I can't say that. What I can do though, is try to help them, you know, develop the clean tech, 
develop the, the, the renewable energies and, and give them money and give them industry and, the, and, and develop those industries to help them transition out, just like we need to invest to transition out so we can help that guy who supports his family because he has a job in the oil industry. Well, if we transition and we help that person, but that's the challenge. We yeah. need we need to do it in a way because you can't help you can't tell a person and and make that person feel horribly guilty because that person's supporting his family. And that yeah. that's that's the crux right now. But but even as a government and you know we're thinking something closer to us like Canada where yeah. we have these natural resources mm-hmm. available, we need to get them to market. Yeah. And any fiscally minded person would tell you, look Take advantage of them. We yeah. need the money that we can reinvest. Well, even Elizabeth May yeah. of the Green Party said so like, during the, the federal campaign that it's better for us in Canada to use our natural resources. So we limit imports yeah. and then work on transition by 2050. Yeah. Even the leader of the Green Party. Do said you think that. it's realistic, the, tra- the full transition is until 2050? Well, I trust science. Yeah. And I mean, now everybody's talking about net zero. And by 2050, we have to get to net zero. Fine. But it's going to be a transition. We have to transition out. And it has to be, uh, you know, in a way that is respectful. Yes, there is an emergency. But you can't from one day to the next just say, okay, you cannot live the way you used to live. Yeah. And uh, I think most people want to do the right thing, but they just don't have access to those technologies and governments are growing as fast as they can, but they have a political price to pay. Mm -hmm. Look again, we had a provincial election on October 1st, 2018. You were there. I was there. You ran. I, I followed the campaign very closely. I was still a minister, even though I wasn't running. George, honestly, during those 33, 37 days of campaign, was there another question you can ask? Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, and it's your podcast, but I'm asking you the question. But now it's fine because I know the answer. Neither the CAC nor the Liberals talked, I think, one day about environment or, uh, or climate change. Yeah. Or at least something, uh, concrete. Concrete. Yeah. So, and, and so it was not a primary focus of either platforms. And those two parties, got 62.5% of the vote. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Quebecers, you know, and I'm Quebecers are concerned about the environment. It was a very interesting poll a few weeks before the federal election last October. It was a Leger poll that was across Quebec and across Canada. Huge sample. You know, really I think there was 2 or 3,000 sample. That's, you know, that's mm-hmm. a large yeah. poll. Yeah. And the question was, there was two questions. One, how important for you is the environment and climate change. So obviously that pulled super high, like in the sixties and seventies across Canada. Second question though was, so climate change, the issue, uh, how important it is, how will it drive your vote? How is it, is it the driver for your vote in the October federal election? Well, the results of that were stunning. Across Canada, 16% said climate change was going to decide their vote. And in Quebec, just 20. Yeah. One in five. Yeah. So 
Yes, it's important, but I think what's going on right now is that the environmentalists are, are, are trying to shame people into evolving people, you know, they get it, but they want to do the right thing. But at the same time, you know, they want to feed their families. They want to have jobs. They want to give their children a, a nice future. And, you know, they, they want to do the right thing, but they, they're trying to balance out all these different things. And so, Governments are trying to do the same thing. It's hard to not think about the economy when you're running for re-election. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And so we have to balance these things out. And I think it's moving in the right direction. Uh, maybe not fast enough, again, as I was saying, for some people. But it is going in the right direction. But you can't shame people into changing. You know, when you look back in retrospect, everything that was done uh, while you were minister, and maybe even before, because it was still the Liberal Party, uh, except for a short, you know, 18-month mm -hmm. period there. Um, you know, you mentioned the Environment Corridor all the way to California. We had a, a carbon yeah, the market. trade system, the, cap and tr the carbon the, market. Do you think that works? Do you think it that does. was the most efficient thing? It does. The cap-and-trade system, even today, I mean, any expert, uh, the, the Canadian Eco-Fiscal Commission, a lot of uh, experts, independent experts will say that the cap and trade system is more efficient than a carbon tax. Which is what Justin is doing across. I yeah. call, sorry, I'm calling him Justin because yeah. we know him, right? We work with him, but yeah, Mr. Yeah. Trudeau. Yeah, well, the, yeah, across, the prime minister. Yeah, the prime but, <laughs> no, but the, the, the federal government is imposing a carbon tax to any province, well, actually the four provinces that have not put in place an emissions reduction scheme mm -hmm. uh, system. So the carbon tax doesn't apply in BC because they already have a carbon tax. And Quebec as well. Quebec doesn't have a carbon tax because we have the cap and trade system mm -hmm. with California. And actually, I had set up with Glenn Murray, who was then the environment minister in Ontario under the Kathleen Wynne government. We, uh, Ontario joined mm -hmm. the Quebec-California cap and trade system. We had done a big, big ceremony in Quebec City with then uh, California Governor um, um, Brown, mm -hmm. Jerry Brown. Yeah. Jerry Brown came and there was Philip Couillard, Kathleen Wynne. We did a big ceremony. Um, and then Doug Ford, when he was elected, scrapped it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that the, the cap and trade system has generated $4 billion in revenues for the Quebec government, which then is reinvested in emissions reduction strategies. Mm -hmm. So clean tech, in renewable energy, in, in public transportation. So what's the difference between that and what the Trudeau government is doing across well, Canada? Well, a tax is different because what, what the cap and trade system does is that it forces industry to buy sort of emissions permits. And there's an incentive because if you reduce emissions, one, you don't have to pay as much. Mm -hmm. But also what you can do is that you can sell yeah, those trade. carbon credits and trade them yeah. and actually make money if you perform well. So it's an incentive for the companies. And also you have an incentive, a built-in incentives to develop clean technologies. The problem with the carbon tax is that for it to be effective, it has to be much higher than what it is right now. It's right now it's $10, $20 a ton. Uh, the Canadian Ecofiscal Commission has said that by 2030, to be effective, it has to be over $200 a ton. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's not high enough to be a disincentive for companies to, to, you know, to stop em emitting GHGs. But also what it does is that there's no direct 
investment caused by that tax in clean tech development and or renewables. Because they're they're giving back the money straight That's to the right, people, to right? to the people. So the revenues, contrary to the cap and trade system, the revenues aren't invested in getting us off fossil fuels. Right. And so that's one of the problems with uh, a carbon tax, uh, other than, of course, not being high enough. Whereas a cap and trade system, it's a market system. So the market determines the cost and it's been going up rarely. When I started the cap and trade system, the it was about, I think, $11, $12 a ton. And now it's $17, $18 a ton. Right. So it's going up. So it's actually working. Mm-hmm. Plus, all those revenues, those $4 billion in revenues the Quebec government has gotten, that's been invested in Quebec to help Quebec companies reduce their footprint. But it's also paying for public transit, for electrification, for a lot of measures that help reduce our, our footprint. Is the current government continuing on, on that path or are they, they are. Uh, they're, they're they backpedaling? Are. No, they, I'll, I'll give them that. The current government has maintained the cap and trade system. And they're working on a plan, the 2030 plan. Uh, they, they've changed the name, but they, it's going to be based on electrification and reducing our, our footprint. And they've maintained the targets that we had put in place. They maintained the 2020 target, the 2030 target, and the 2050 target we put in place. So they've respected the same target. They're, they want to respect the same targets. So, and they they have the cap and trade system in place. So they, so far they, they are maintaining what we, we put in place. Right. Do you think it's fair that they're called, obviously the opposition is doing their job, right? I mean, whether it's the liberals or mm. uh, especially the Quebec Solidaire, which have taken kind of that image of, you know, the environment right. friendly party, yeah. uh, calling out the government as the anti-environment or. Uh, well, anybody that doesn't do everything that Quebec Solidaire does, they're they're anti like they're anti life, uh, you know they're they're anti human. Uh, no, but you know there's no middle ground with with Quebec Solidaire, and and that's a bit too bad there. But again, I'm not, you know, I I disagree with the CEQ on a lot of things, uh, mainly the way you know now they've transformed the way the green fund is going to be managed, and there's not going to be any oversight that I had put in place, you know, to make sure that the money goes to the projects that reduce the most emissions. And there's no, there's no longer any direct oversight on how the money is spent. Uh, but at the same time, the thing is, is that when you're governing and you, you saw it when you were, you were, you were in staff and, and I had to see it as well. Governing is compromised when you're in the opposition and you have little chance of forming government. It's easy to, to say, make yeah, these, to say whatever you want to say these very uh, wide ranging, encompassing statements, and and but when you're governing, uh, especially in the environment, you know, when I was environment minister, you had, I had to deal with all the different cities and towns. We have 1,100 cities and towns across Quebec, small ones, big ones, regionals, Quebec City, Montreal, mm-hmm. uh, CMM. Uh, so you have all of that. Then you have all the environmental groups. You have the ones everybody knows, but you have also the ones in the regions and all the, the you know, very strong and they're in the media and they're very present. So you have to deal with that. And then the lobby groups. And then you have all the economic lobby groups. Yeah. And those are big too. And they have a voice and they're involved in the regions. 
and all the M&As. When, when you're a minister, you can't, and, and that's what a lot of people, you know, think, well, ministers have a lot of power. Well, you got to you got to consider the reality that your colleague is going. That's through. right. Yeah. So when M and A's in our caucus, you know, some of the sixty nine others M and A's would tell me, well, you know, David, what you're planning to do is going to hurt my region because so and so industry, which employs hundreds of people and supports hundreds of families, in my writing, is going to be hurt by what you're going to do. Yeah. What do you answer that? Yeah. You say tough. Yeah. No, you you have to take it in consideration. And so uh, I remember when I was, I was, uh, you know, the deposit system, you know, with the glass bottles mm -hmm. and the plastic bottles, you know, I got, I had a project, you know, and it seems now the CAC government is going to push it through, which is basically what we tried to do in 2014, 15 and 16 was, you know, include the wine bottles, include the water bottles and, and which, you know, there are 240 million wine bottles every year. Uh, 60, 70% of them don't get recycled, mm -hmm. uh, plastic bottles, a billion plastic bottles a year, again, majority of which don't get recycled. You know, it's a problem And you're talking about climate change. Why is it so hard? Well, because you have bottlers and people in those industries that, you know, are well-established in different regions. You have the grocery stores, you know, who, you know, don't want to be stuck with all those, those bottles coming back. The SAQ was against it when I was a minister. So you have to deal with all of that. And you have to deal with those M&As who have to be reelected and come and tell me, well, look, David, I mean, this, what you're trying to do is going to hurt me because it's going to hurt businesses in my writing. And these people will, will support the other guy in the next election, I'm going to lose if you do this. Yeah. And so in caucus, it's very hard and you have to balance these things out. Sometimes you go ahead and the premier supports you and you have to go ahead because it's the right thing to do. But sometimes you have to, you know, give and take. Yeah. And it's hard, especially in environmental matters. Uh, let's talk about the other hot topic, which is immigration. Mm -hmm. uh, and the current government essentially got elected, I think, primarily because of their stance on, uh, on immigration. You were the, you were the immigration minister. Mm -hmm. Give me your uh, insight or point of view on Bill 9, Bill 21, stuff that have completely changed, at least the way I got to see Quebec, right? Mm -hmm. Montreal especially. Well, well, first of all, what you have to realize is that the current government was elected with 37.5% of the vote. You know, in the history of Quebec, that's the lowest percentage of the vote mm -hmm. a majority government has ever had. Yeah. Um. So they they were elected partly on that, and that base, you know, v was preoccupied with immigration. But it's far from making unanimity. That's right. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, you have to realize, and we saw it last fall, you know, what they did, you know, in immigration matters, uh, the way they handled the file, and and their popular their popularity actually oh, it went a down. Complete mess. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Uh, and it went down to about the levels, you know, on which they were elected, mm -hmm. you know, about 37, 38%. Um, and the rest of the vote was split. You know, the PQ got a bit of the vote. Liberals got 25% of the vote. Quebec Solidaire uh, got a little Solidaire, boost, yeah. 15 or 17%. You know, PQ 15, Quebec Solidaire 17. And, and we got 25. Um, so the, the, the electorate was very split. And it didn't all vote for one issue. So we have to be careful about saying that Quebecers 
you know, Francophones or even in regions all support because that's the perception that the government is trying to yeah to, but you know but yeah. yeah but we also had you know a premier saying well i look at my facebook, facebook. page and, <laughs> yeah. and so you have to be careful about who supports what and 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 not jump to conclusions on how quebecers feel because again look at the federal election just another example you know i i said it earlier everybody was saying all oh, quebec environment environment but 51% of Quebecers voted for parties that supported Transmount. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So you have to be, you, you have to, yeah. to, to understand that. But as a former uh, yeah, yeah, immigration, immigration minister, I mean, yeah. how do you see this? Well, I see this as, you know, obviously, and I've said this before, this, this is a problem. This is, is not sending the right message to the Anglophone community. I mean, this whole thing with historic Anglos and, yeah. and you know, it's kind of creating classes of Quebecers. And we're all Quebecers, all equal. I mean, yeah. and you know, I'm the son of an immigrant. So am I. Yeah. And 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 I don't feel I'm a a, a less or more of a Quebecer than and you shouldn't. Than, no, than yeah. my mom, whose family has been here since the 16th century. Yeah. Or the 17th. I don't remember. And so, you you can't create these classes of Quebecers on the immigration side, you can't also based on some, you know, antiquated, I think, and, and just really useless form of nationalism, uh, you know, try to divide, uh, certain groups of immigrants. And also, what I think is is thoroughly short-sighted here is the fact that we actually need more immigration. Yeah. It's not only a social and moral issue. It's an economic Which issue. it is. Yeah. It's an economic issue. And the fact is that if we want to maintain this Quebec model that we've developed, our social services, we need to make sure we have an economy that can sustain and generate the taxes and the revenues that can pay for healthcare system, that can pay for uh, uh, kindergarten, that can pay for education. And, and so right now, uh, this is very troubling. It sends a horrible message to our uh, immigrant communities that are here, uh, on your immigrants. Uh, and it's not what Quebec and Canada were built on. This was, this used to be a place where, you know, tolerance and, you know, your origins uh, were, weren't supposed to be a problem. Mm -hmm. And tolerance was key and, and you were welcome. And uh, there was already a separation of church and state. Uh, I, you know, I was in government. I never saw religion play a role in any mm -hmm. government mm -hmm. issue. Um, and so, and I actually was an MA where there was Le Petit Maghreb and I had in my writing mosques and I had, you know, Catholic churches and Protestant uh, Haitian churches. And, you know, I had over 60, 70 cultural communities in my writing, just like you did in, in, oh, in Park X. Uh, I mean, like, and, and, you know, we had like what 1.3 kilometer radius 
Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, yeah. mosques, uh, Sikh temples, yeah. uh, Tamil temples. Was, and everybody yeah. got along. Yeah. And and there was no issue. And it was just, you know, this fear-mongering in, in, in the regions that uh, convinced a certain section of the population. And because the way our electoral map works and, and the division of the vote and the fact that, let's face it, the PLQ didn't do a very good job during that campaign and and you know it was 15 years of power and there was fatigue also i think the electorate was tired of seeing you know the liberals in power uh but it wasn't a great campaign either uh but the thing is is that uh i think what's happening right now bill 9 bill 21 these these are mistakes and and first of all it sends a horrible message to quebecers uh, and especially when you go in the younger generations, because when you go in the schools, you know, which are very diverse and the kids, they don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't care about these issues. Yeah. This is, this is mainly a baby boomer issue, but, but, I think. But it's funny you know? that you bring it to those lines because do you at all think that, you know, Legault is just feeding into his electorate and saying, look, this is what works. This is where our vote is. This is, uh, you know. Yeah. This he's is, he's talking to his base. He's talking to his base, and and his base is older nationalists in the regions. Do you think that the, the, there's a danger of more? I don't want to say extremist nationalism, but more you know hardcore nationalism being raised in Quebec, especially in the regions. Will uh, it impact the political landscape? I don't think. Uh, I I don't see hardcore nationalism because uh, I remember when I was minister. You know, I would see. Uh, episodes and we saw the rise of La Meute, La Meute yeah. and and uh, groups like that. And look, today we're not we're not seeing them. Uh, I I don't think Quebecers have have that the taste for that and yeah. want that. Um, just look again what, what the the CQ government went through with immigration when they 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 went after the the students and and uh, the foreign students. Yeah. And you had like foreign students crying and, and, you know, broken lives and, and the people reacted, the media, the, you know, the mainstream French media, yeah. the, the people reacted and said, wait a minute, that's not who we are. Stop, stop it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the government had to backtrack. It really did. Yeah. And it's going to have to do the same thing on, 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 on labor shortage issues. It's no choice. Companies are actually you know, losing contracts or have to, you know, refuse growth opportunities because they don't have the labor. And, and we're in a competition with, with other territories around the world. It's not like we're the only ones. Mm -hmm. So we have to show, and it's a competition issue about attracting uh, the talent to come here. And, and so uh, I think uh, from an economic perspective, this is going to have to change. But also the type of message uh, we're sending out is wrong and, and we have to change it. And we bring it back to a place where, you know, our, our real Quebec values, which are tolerance, which is inclusion, uh, which is celebrating diversity, uh, is, is one of our strengths. And, and I think this base uh, ultimately is, is not uh, going to grow uh, very much mm -hmm. or become a trend, but we have to denounce it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to close it up, but just your thoughts. Um, 
leadership uh, campaign, conservative, mm-hmm. uh, federal conservatives. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it provincially. Um, Jean Charest coming back. You you didn't mm-hmm. live uh, the the era with Jean Charest. I did. Uh, at the Liberal Party of Quebec, but how do you think that's all going to play out at the federal stage? Well, I mean, right now at the federal stage, I think there's a real sort of a civil war brewing within the Conservative Party. You know, there's this this reformist Canadian yeah. alliance. It's also resurfacing, right? West, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Western alienation, uh, social conservative elements, which actually put uh, Andrew Scheer uh, head of the party last time around, but against this realization that, you know, that message doesn't work in Ontario and it doesn't work in Quebec and, and like it or not in Canada, electoral math is how it is. And if you want to form a government in Canada, you either need a bunch of seats in Ontario or a bunch of seats in Quebec or a bit in both. both. Yeah. You can't, have nothing or almost nothing yeah. in both. You know, Stephen Harper formed a government with five seats in Quebec, but he had a ton of seats in Ontario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can't not win if you don't have uh, a combination of a strong combination of seats coming from Quebec and Ontario. And so uh, I think a lot of people in the Conservative Party uh, are realizing that you need to evolve the message and the person carrying that message. And so that's why I think if Josh Ray decides to run, a lot of people are saying he is running, but it's not formally announced mm-hmm. yet. He has a shot. He definitely has a shot because he has a great network across Canada. Yeah. Uh, he's known, he's a, he's a known commodity uh, and he's respected. And, you know, he was a conservative minister under Brian Mulroney and, that's the tangent. That's the the angle that yeah. can maybe help him and and give him a serious shot. I have a lot of uh, friends or people that I know in the conservative circles, and they're they, they agree with you in that respect because I, I I've heard that you know when uh, Sheer was doing his debrief after the election, he got drilled in Quebec. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, the Quebec caucus just yeah. destroyed him. So obviously that comes into question where you know the eastern provinces are a whole other world. It's mm-hmm. another planet compared mm-hmm. to the western. Uh, provinces but the fact that Jean Charest was you know part of the progressive conservatives mm-hmm. still doesn't ring well in the western provinces I understand and who is going to strike that balance the you question know, is do who? you want uh, to stick to the ideology or do you want to win the next there, election there you go is there a compromise somewhere and that's why I'm I'm talking about it in terms of maybe a civil war there yeah. and and that's why a lot of people were looking at Rana Ambrose yeah. who, who seems to be able who anyways when she was interim leader after Seymour Harper left she seemed to have that capacity to bridge yeah. those two worlds but apparently she may not run but there aren't a lot of people who can bridge those two worlds. And so uh, can Sheree do it? Maybe, uh, but we'll have to see. But the thing is, is that I understand that, you know, the whole, the whole Western reformist, but Harper was able to do that. Actually, mm-hmm. he was able to convince Ontarians, not many Quebecers, but he did, he did do uh, a decent job. He got what, 10, 15 seats last, last time, you know, back in 2015 in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he got, you know, a lot of seats in Ontario, uh, and he formed three governments, 
so he was able to create that combination with uh, enough Ontario and Quebec seats to form a government. So what is that? But he didn't have as much of a hardcore message on social issues like abortion or gay rights. Mm -hmm. Then Andrew Scheer uh, had, and you know, he Scheer had a lot of trouble with those issues. It's weird because when you look back at that campaign, for me, because I, I saw it from you know an objective point of view, sure. now, right? I, I wasn't involved in yeah. politics, and uh, I was running the show actually. And I was, you know, we had I had candidates from all parties. It, for me, just from a communications perspective, because that's what I did for the last, you know, 11, 12 years when I was in politics, it seemed incredible for me to think, how could you not have been better briefed to go into this campaign? Exactly. I mean, these issues have been there all along. Yeah. And and they're settled. I mean, it's not like abortion is a raging debate in yeah. Quebec, yeah. Ontario, or Canada. It's settled. I mean, the Supreme Court has ruled, and, and with and these are and, you know, it's settled law. And 2018 started on such a bad note for the liberals, oh, and yeah. it dragged on all the way until the summer. It was, it was and even during a, the campaign, and during the campaign. But it was such a spring; these guys mm -hmm. take advantage of and really yeah. do well, and they just didn't. But right off the stunning blocks, you know, you had Sylvie Frechette saying one thing on immigration, yeah. then Alain Reyes saying another, and then uh, Andrew Scheer waiting three days to to come up, to and comment, the, yeah. and the French debate where he just just completely yeah. dropped the ball and and the same thing about gay rights and you know not going to pride being the only leader not going to a pride parade what is that all about mm -hmm. i mean this is settled mm -hmm. you're in politics you go to pride i went to pride yeah. every you know everybody goes to pride yeah, and yeah. and and you know it's it's you celebrate that diversity and you celebrate the lgbtq community and you you, you do that and you have fun with it and and it's there they're part of, of what Canada is yeah. and what makes Canada great, especially like in places like Quebec, you know, Montreal, Toronto, where these parades are, you know, iconic. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just don't get it. Uh, you know, and, and people are, have the right to their personal views, but when you're the leader of a major Canadian political party, which aspires to be prime minister of all Canadians, yeah. These issues, you have you know, no choice. You, you almost have no choice. You cannot, you know, these are not, these are settled issues. Yeah. And it doesn't mean there's still, you know, uh, you know, a woman's right to choose always has to be, you know, defended and, and gay rights. There's still a lot of work to do. But still, I mean, th these, uh, you know, Canada is overall a progressive nation. Yeah. And, and we need to move in that direction. Do you think he's going to survive past 18 months to two years? Do you think he's going he's gonna to make it to three, three and a half? Well, it's possible because, look, I mean, right now you don't see the NDP uh, forcing an election. And the conservatives, I mean, that new leader is, first of all, whoever he or she is, is going to have to bring the whole party together. Whoever that person is, yeah. is going to have to spend a lot of time uniting this yeah. party yeah. and building support in Quebec and Ontario, regardless where that person is from yeah. or, and, or maintaining the West and, 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 you know, working with people like Jason Kenney and, and, you know, uh, Doug Ford and, and, and people like that. And so there's, there's, that's going to take a lot of time. And so uh, the only the only question is the economy. Uh, right now, the economy is still doing very well. 
But as you know, uh, a lot of people are saying, a lot of experts are saying, well, maybe this, you know, 2020 and 2021, these will be the years where finally, you know, this, this long cycle of economic yeah. growth will end. And so that could be the only thing that, that forces maybe an election sooner than, than later. But I mean, 157 seats is, is a strong yeah. minority and it's, yeah. it's hard to bring down. Do you do you feel comfortable at all talking about the, the provincial liberals? Sure, sure. What do you what do you see? What do you what do you hear? Uh, is there any interest? Is it kind of? I don't see a lot of interest. Yeah. I mean, I I don't sense it. And and to be fair, I mean, I and full disclosure, I'm not involved yeah. in in anything, and I I haven't been involved in the party since I left politics. Uh, but th there doesn't seem to be a lot of energy around this race. And, um, especially since I think the liberals, liberal party needs to, to first, you know, redefine itself, uh, as a party, you know, this is one of those times in its history where, you know, we're at the end of a cycle, you know, where the liberal party is at the end of this federalist versus sovereignist mm -hmm. cycle yeah. which defined the quebec liberal party since basically the 70s you know and that was what the liberal brand was in quebec it was we are the federalist party and so if you're against quebec sovereignty we're the option we're the option yeah. and and regardless of what where you were on the political spectrum that was the first question and the, so you were liberal because you were a federalist and if you were a sovereignist, regardless where you were on the political spectrum, well, you were at the PQ, mm -hmm. right? And now this is blown up. And so right now, I think there's some room in the political spectrum. And the Liberal Party throughout its history has had to do this every, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. But the Liberal Party needs to redefine itself now. So you have this right-wing party, you know, center-right or right, mm -hmm. whatever you, you want to say it, but which is the CAC and a regional-based party, and you have a far-left party, which is Quebec Solidaire. There's room there, you know, and, and this is this room in the political spectrum, and I think that's where the liberals need to define a message. And it's part of that message is going to be going back, to, I think, to the old Robert Barassa brand of liberalism, you know, where, where you had uh, part of it, you know, you have economic development, but for social progress. Mm -hmm. And and it's simple to say, but you have to define it and and present it in a palatable way. But you have to rebuild that big tent because you have to bring back Anglos because Anglos aren't don't feel the love right now from mm -hmm. the liberals. Mm -hmm. Don't feel that liberals are doing enough to represent. Same thing with the cultural communities, immigrants, people from recent immigration. There there has we have to rebuild those bridges as well. Uh, and, and we have to, and right now I, I don't feel, you know, a lot of people talk about this, this have seem to have this obsession with regions and the Francophones and the regions mm -hmm. and we, we have, and, and some messages seem to be like CAC light and I, I'm afraid of that. I was, I was, ex I was just about to tell you what I was afraid of and the fact that we're diverting away from the values that has made that party what it was for all these decades, uh, towards you know, some ideology that made another party mm -hmm. succeed. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that has to be avoided at all costs. You know, from what I've seen and, you know, it's still very recent, right? I mean, the, the election was only in 2018. 
a lot of people still haven't gotten over the fact that we lost. No, I know. And you're trying to send the message that, look, dude, you're in politics. It's part of the deal. Yeah. You're going to win and you're going to lose and you got to, you know, yeah, if you lose, you, you got to. You're not owed anything. It's yeah, not an entitlement. That's what it is. <laughs> it, it happens. So yeah. pick it up and do better next time. Uh, but I'm just afraid that that next time is so much more based this time around on what the others did mm. rather than what we have to do. Right. Now, right. right. And, and that scares me too. Mm. I, I, I think right now, uh, you know, choosing a leader and we can't do that over, but I, I think that was premature. I mean, I think the first step would have been to maybe do a convention on, on, on who we were and, and what we are as a party. Uh, and then moving from that, then you do, you know, a leadership convention. I agree with you. Uh, I think that it's way too soon. And, you know, the, the, the party asked the, the different associations to to present a resolution on the date that they wanted mm -hmm. the, the election. I think our association was one of the few that actually wanted the 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 election to be held later, later. than sooner. Mm -hmm. I, I, of course, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're all Democrats. I mean, mm. people voted and it's fine. Yeah. We're going to have sure. it where it's going to be held this uh, April, I think, or May. Um, I still think it's too soon. It seems to be soon. But the thing is, you see it. I mean, there's not a lot of energy on the ground. You don't sense that. Well, just, just, from a strategic, just from a strategic point of view, I mean, you know, we launched a leadership campaign at a time where the government was still part of in its honeymoon period. Right. There's always a year or so right. that the government is on a high. Right. Yeah. And before you know it, we're, we're launching ourselves in a leadership yeah. campaign. And then that leader is going to be in place for two years. So there, you won't have, by the time we have the election in 2022, we won't have that, that new factor. You know, people will, you know, know this person. There won't be this, mm -hmm. this type of momentum. Uh, but the, we'll see. We'll see. The argument is that let's do the, 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 let's have the race done sooner, get that leader in place mm. in order to build. Yeah. I know. I understand the, the right strategy. I, I, I don't know. Personally, I don't think so. Um, you know, I have nothing against the candidates. I think, you know, Dominique is a, is a great person. Um, Alexandre Cusson for now, he's not very much known. Uh, but in any case, in any of the, 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 the two scenarios, it's just not picking up. It's not. It's really, you don't sense uh, there's a, a strong message. Uh, you don't sense that uh, there's a lot of energy in either campaign. Um, again, I agree with you. I mean, these, these, these two people have great qualities, mm -hmm. but uh, it doesn't seem to be generating a lot of excitement and there doesn't seem to be this, you know, this platform that really is... Uh, distinguishing itself and, you know, drawing people and bringing people that left the party back. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not sensing that. Yeah. If you were still in place, um, what would you, what would your message be? What, what would you oh be? My goodness. Uh, that's, if I were in politics, I would say that's a hypothetical. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we, we just have to, I mean, I, I'm not going to, put myself in a place, you know, uh, there's a lot of good men and women that are currently in the party. We have great MNAs, uh, that do a lot of hard work. Uh, but I think, uh, 
I think there's this period where we have to uh, really stop and take stock and ask a lot of questions. I, I, I'm not going to say I have all the answers, but I think we need to really work hard on, on finding ourselves. Yeah. You know, just like, you know, we were talking about this, you know, after politics, it's, it's, you have to take a step back and, and you have to look, take a hard look at yourself and what is good, what is solid, but what needs improvement. And you have to work on those things. And I think that's where we are right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of great people there. I think there's a, there's a decent foundation and it can come back. Uh, but, um, I think right now we, we, the liberals haven't been able to find themselves yet. I don't think they've taken stock and do done a lot of introspection and, and, uh, there still seems to be a lot of clans mm-hmm. within the party. And, and I, I keep remembering about, you know, about Borassa used to say, you always to ha- you have to add before additioning mm-hmm. and we don't seem to be doing that. Yeah. The times have certainly changed also, right? I Absolutely. Mean, you know, I remember when we started, you know, there was this enthusiasm. Membership wasn't that difficult, or at least, you know, we didn't think it was difficult. Mm. Raising money wasn't difficult. Yeah, as but that's well, evolved. That's know? changed. That's all changed. And I mean, even the the Liberal Party of Canada, you know, it's sympathizers and yeah, yeah. you know, financing is different. Uh people have changed. And, uh, and politics has changed and we have to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to connect with newer generations that, you know, we're not connected to at all. I mean, uh, and we have to do a better job with younger voters. And it's interesting that you're saying that because, you know, during the federal election, you know, I had, we, I did the car ride uh, segment and, uh, you know, I was talking with a lot of candidates and mm-hmm. a lot of their teams and mm-hmm. everything. So there was this message from the ground that I was getting from all these different right. uh, electoral offices. And they were all concerned with the 18 to 35 sure. uh, demographic. And they were often questioning themselves on where they're situated and should we be taking them for granted. And especially with regards to the cultural communities where we are living at a time uh, where those generations, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they weren't even voting. And mm-hmm. now they are, but not necessarily following into their, you know, in their parents' footsteps. Exactly. Like, uh, you know, uh, a dad or a mom that would vote liberal in the 80s and 90s, chances are that your kid today that is eligible, eligible to vote may not. May not, but also any even vote at all. Or vote at all. You have to get but them out. But that's a whole other issue. No, but that, yeah, I mean, that's, but I mean, that's what we have to work on. Mm-hmm. That's what the party needs to work on. Dude, I know you're busy and uh, I've taken away too much of your time. My pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Great pleasure, George. And uh, Good to be with you. For sure, I'll see you around. Of course. <laughs>